Testing. Testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. Happy Easter. Great service. Everybody's starting to arrive. We're going to start in another minute or two. We're getting ready. How's that? Is that good? All right. Should I mute it myself? Okay. dresses and pastel colors. Happy Easter to everyone at home that's joining us online. We're so thankful you could make it. If you all want to stand up, if you're here with us, we're just going to jump into worshiping our risen Savior.
close to us this morning. Let's sing this together. Thank you for the cross that you have carried. And thank you for the cross that you have carried. And thank you for your blood that was shed. You took the weight of sin upon your shoulders. You sacrificed your life so I Jesus, you're 
South Bay and beyond and doing all this for the glory of God. And we are a family together, all of us committed to doing this. And you are gathered here on a very special family gathering today because today we are celebrating. Today is a day for partying, for feasting, for rejoicing because of the good news. Has someone told you the good news yet today? He is risen. He is risen. He is. And this is time to celebrate and to enjoy. Uh, so if you're new, uh, the best thing to do to get connected to this body is to really just talk to someone around you, someone who seems like they've been coming here before, uh, and we love to get you plugged in. Uh, but if you are a bit more afraid of social interaction and talking to someone new, there's some QR codes uh, in the back for you to scan and you can share a little bit more about yourself. Uh, and so we can connect with you and get you plugged into uh, the beautiful family that is the River Church. So we are so thankful that you're joining us. And for those of you who are here, I think this is the best looking Sunday Easter group I've ever seen. You guys look beautiful and handsome. And I want to invite up uh, probably, and he's a part of, I think, the best dressed family, not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday. This family just dresses to the nines all the time. So Francois, do you want to come up here and I've gotten to know Francois a bit uh, as I've been working at the church, and his family not only dresses well, but inside they are beautiful as well. It has been such a pleasure for me to get to know them um, and to get to know Annabelle in particular. She is such a joy. She's in sixth grade, and she is amazing. So uh, we're excited to hear from Francois this morning. He's going to share a bit about uh, the resurrection and how this has changed his life and his family and his engagement in the Christian community. So Francois. Thank you, Luke. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. All right, hopefully that's better. Um, my testimony this morning will center around the resurrection of community in a new season. In the light of the hope that the resurrection of Jesus provides to us. My wife Mia and I, we got married at 22 and we decided to embark on a great adventure and left South Africa and went to Washington DC. For me it was to try and make the US national rugby team, for her it was to study um, 
master's degree in architecture. When we departed for the US, my older brother, who had lived in Australia for a while, gave us some really good advice. He said, when you move to a generous and hospitable society like the US or Australia for that matter, you might find yourself being invited to different things and activities. His advice was say yes as often as possible. We call it the yes rule. And that turned out to be really good advice for us. What we found when we moved 8,000 miles away from friends and family is that we needed to resurrect a church and a faith community. We found a tiny little church in Washington, D.C. called Christ Church of Arlington, and there we met Steve and Georgia. It was an older couple, even older than our parents, and they invited us to join their community group, which they led. This was the first time that we attended a community group and got to experience digging deeper into the Word and sharing the Christian life with people that were both older than us, but also very different from us. We became really close to them. Even till this day, they come to visit us on an annual basis and are the de facto grandparents for our kids. When we moved from DC to LA, we recognized that we needed to replicate the small group experience that meant so much for our faith um, in Los Angeles. So we lived in West LA and God led us to Ballet Presbyterian Church where we became very involved in the Young Marrieds group. Now the Young Marrieds group at the time was led by Jane Catherine Wolf, who are friends of the river and they've actually spoken here a few times as part of their Hope Hills ministry. We, we experienced life with them in a community group for 10 years. And through that time, initially we started as six couples and by the end of 10 years, there were 15 kids running around. So there was something good in the water. But what we experienced was um, about halfway through, Catherine suffered a rapture of a brain aneurysm. She was 26 years old with a six month baby. And we really experienced what it means for a close group of friends to, to band together and not just support this young family, but to support each other through this um, really difficult time. It really formed our view of what a Christian community could look like and should look like going forward. God miraculously spared Catherine's life, and they now tell their story throughout the world, a story of hope that God can take a really bad thing that happens and still glorify Him, even when our expectations and our wishes for what we thought our life would look like changes dramatically. We moved from West LA to PV about three years ago. And even though it's only 25 miles, it's almost equivalent to moving a thousand miles away. We realized we had to build a new community from scratch because we can't be driving up and down the 405, um, sitting in traffic as I do for work every day. Luckily, we had great neighbors, Bert and Carol Argo, and they invited us to join a PV couples dinner club that they'd been attending since it started 25 years ago. Unfortunately, Bert passed away just over a year ago we just attended his funeral that Bill McPhee really movingly officiated last Friday. He was one of the first victims in the area from the pandemic. But we've met many wonderful people through this dinner club and both Carol and her friend Susan now attends the River Church. If our first takeaway was that you should say yes, our next takeaway and our, the lesson that we learned from Bert and Carol 
is that you need to become people, that we need to become people that extend invitations to others. We need to give people the opportunity to say yes. We found the River Church almost exactly a year ago, a couple weeks before the pandemic and the subsequent lockdown, which is not a great time to join a new church or to build a new church community. However, we've absolutely loved the teaching, we've loved the worship, and we've met some really good people so far. And as Luke mentioned, our kids, Annabelle and Magali, they really enjoy both Tide and River Kids. We decided before our kids were born that it's very important for us to instill faith and church community in our kids' lives. So for them, it's just become normal that we go to church on Sundays and that we you know, talk about God and that we read the Bible. We want them to have a faith foundation as they grow out or grow older and eventually leave our homes. And we realize that we not only need to be intentional about building community for us, but also we need to be intentional about building faith community for them. So for us, every big change, whether it was South Africa to DC or DC to LA or West LA to PV, has been a catalyst for us in how do we re resurrect the community of faith. As society at the moment continues to thaw out after the pandemic, and socialization returns, we would encourage all of us to live in the hope of the resurrected life that Jesus provides to us, and also to live in that hope in our relationships. Because it takes courage to say yes, and it takes generosity and hospitality to invite people in. But it also takes ongoing hard work to foster the community and to be intentional about it and to invite other people into it. In no way do we have a perfect community or have perfected this. But living in the community, we've realized, creates opportunity to love each other and to walk a road together through both valleys and through peaks and to be blessed, but also to become a blessing to others. We think it's well worth it and one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Francois. And I can stand as a, another witness to his life and his, uh, truly, the life of his family as embodying the resurrection community, as seeking it out uh, and kind of leading us forward. And I'm so thankful that you are a part of our church and a part of our family. It's truly a blessing for us to be walking alongside of you. So we're going to continue in worship in the joyful expression that he is risen. And this is good news because the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. So if you're able, would you stand and Amanda and Tess will continue to lead us in worship.
Good morning. Um, this is Luke 24, 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood behind them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still there with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Ah, that story never, yeah, just never gets old. The reason why we're here this morning, really out of any other morning, any other Sunday, it's not just an, another Sunday, it's a very, very special Sunday. It's a Sunday in which we get to celebrate what we consider to be the most important, the most significant, world-changing, historical event not only for those in the context of the church, for followers of Christ, but it impacts the world, the fact that we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. And the story that, Francois, thank you for your testimony, your story of your family, and how you have transitioned from one place to the next, and always stayed within the community of faith, as a result of believing in resurrection power, to keep your family strong, to keep you focused as an athlete, as a businessman, as a businesswoman, you have kept one thing in your family secure, and that is your faith because of one thing. It is strong because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Annabelle, would you just come up here and uh, receive two hats for your folks? Um, these are very well treasured. These are treasured hats, right? These are first edition. Yeah, come on up. I'm just going to hand them to you. The River Church of the South Bay. Thank you, Francois. Thank you, Mia, for your family. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for giving your testimony. And uh, I'll sign those hats afterwards. I only wore them to the gym once, I promise. But people are going to want those hats one day. I know it. When they're all gone. And this morning, we are going to talk about this one event. It is the event. And we get a chance to talk about the resurrection and how the resurrection brings new life. And I've entitled this message, What You See Will Change You. What you see will change you. There's an old saying. And the saying is, we don't really know where it came from. 
but it has been passed on from generation to generation through multiple cultures around the world that beauty in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. In other words, anything that you see that is perfect or desirable is something that you experience personally. And so you experience it, you see it with your own eyes, you behold it, and it's something beautiful. And I want to suggest to you that beauty is in the eye of the holder. Now, how do I illustrate this? Well, one of my very first experiences of traveling was to Europe. And I remember going to Europe, and I remember my brother and I arriving, and we traveled across Europe one summer. And we arrived in this little small town in Switzerland in the Alps. And the title, the name of that city is Grindelwald. And we arrived in Grindelwald late at night, checked into our hotel room, probably a pension, and we woke up in the morning and looked out the window to the most amazing sight we had ever seen. There they are, the Alps, the beautiful, beautiful Alps. It was one of the most beautiful, amazing sights that my brother and I had ever seen. It, it launched me on a life pursuit, a life pursuit of traveling the world, of cultures and experiences. I am this, I, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I saw it for myself. And I saw these beautiful Alps, the Eiger, and it, it, it just impacted me and gave me a love for travel and cultures and traveling the world and visiting people and churches around the world. What you behold will change you. Let me tell you another story. I was standing in a church and I was looking, just right like this angle, looking down the aisle and a woman, a young woman, in a white dress with a veil, walked down that aisle, the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, my wife. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. What you behold will change you. And when I saw her, and we engaged in that marriage ceremony together and committed and vowed together, it changed our lives. What you behold with your eyes can change you. And this morning, what I want you to see is maybe through fresh eyes, the resurrection. As we heard the story read to us from the account of Luke, we hear the story of this beautiful account of what they experienced at the tomb and they realized it was empty and met the resurrected Christ. And what they saw with their eyes changed them. Many years later, the apostle Paul would have his own experience and through his eyes, he would see the Christ and it would change him. What you behold will change you. And it's like this moment in time. The story of Christ is the story of three acts. The story of Christ's birth and then his death and then his resurrection. And, and in the moment, in this moment when we heard this story, all hope was lost. Jesus had died. He had lived his life and he had died and it was over. And the disciples and the followers of Christ all went back to their lives. A few of the women came back to prepare the body of Jesus for burial, not expecting to find what they found. 
It was, it was something changed in that moment for them. It was the resurrection. It was like the Gonzaga UCLA game last night. I mean, it was tied up to the last second in the first overtime. I mean, it could have gone either way. Either way, nobody knew the outcome. For a split second, nobody knew. But as that freshman threw the ball into the air, this Hail Mary, I mean, it was an outside chance that he would make the basket. And it was as that ball was flying through the air and when it hit the rim and went in, it was like, what? Are you kidding me? It changed the outcome of the game in a second. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is like that. In a second, in the resurrection, it changed the outcome of the game of life forever. That's how important it is. And we're going to look at that this morning. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. If you personally experience it, it could change you. But it's a process, and we're going to look at the process of faith for Paul, of how Paul got there himself through three stages. And maybe you're new to the church. Maybe you've been invited by a friend. Maybe you're a neighbor, and this is the first time, and you're hearing this story, or maybe you've heard the story before, and you come on Easter. But I want to think, I want you to think about your pilgrimage with God as a process, not an instant but as a process. And Paul describes that process of belief and trust and then beginning to live based upon that that belief and trust. And we're going to look at those three stages as the Apostle Paul describes what he experienced and what it meant to him, the resurrection. It's a process. Because what you behold will change you if you see it with new, fresh eyes. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul now referring back much later in time to what happened in that moment when Christ was resurrected. He calls brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, which I preached to you. The gospel is just simply the good news, the good news of what happened. It's like announcing the fact, did you see the game last night? Oh my goodness, now for UCLA, fans, it wasn't good news. But it was an amazing game. And at the last moment, something changed that turned it to good news for at least one of the teams. And so Paul says, the good news I preached to you, which you received, and now I stand the gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word in which I preach. For what I received, I pass on to you as first importance. And here it is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There's the gospel in a nutshell, that Christ lived, that he gave his life, that he was buried, and he rose on the third day. That's the story. That's the whole story, and that story changes everything. And then he began to appear. And he appeared to Peter, and he appeared to 12 disciples, and then he appeared to, at one point, 500 people. And he began these appearances. He appeared to James, and then Paul says he appeared to me. Many years later, 
And Paul says that's where it begins. It begins with the appearance of Christ, the resurrected Christ, and you got to believe it. Now, in the first century, what you saw had to be corroborated or it could easily be contested. I mean, they, it, it needed to be quickly corroborated. It needed to be written down, recorded by an eyewitness. And if you delayed in that process, let's say 50 years, 75 years, 100 years, like lots of pieces of manuscript literature that we have, the, in the delay process, what happens is the historicity of the event changes. But if it's captured quickly and it's recorded and it's corroborated, guess what? It becomes something historical, truthful. People say, well, I don't believe in the resurrection. Well, notice what Paul does. Paul says two things about it. First of all, it's something that he preached. Now, the word preached in Greek, it's a very important word. Keruso. And keruso means to herald, to proclaim, proclaim boldly. Not to teach, but to proclaim boldly, to herald in the center of the city, in the town, to stand. And, 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 and that's what they would do. They would, they would herald good news. They would stand and proclaim this new news. But, but it was historical, powerful, important pieces of news. There's a difference. It's the difference between, let's say, the Daily Breeze and the LA Times or the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Now, the Daily Breeze reports lots of good stuff. The Surf Report, community events, a festival, all sorts of fun things, maybe a few stories about new fashion or whatever. We call that soft news. Now, of course, the, the Daily Breeze also has world news as well, but, but it's known for its local news. It's called soft news, things that we need to know that kind of help us through life. But when you turn to another newspaper like the LA Times or some, some other place, you, you can often find hard news, news about the economic situation of our time, maybe a new tax or maybe a new president or, or, or a war that we're in or something important that if you don't pay attention to it, it may turn around and come to bite you. You better listen because it's going to impact you. It's hard news. It's something important. And heralders would proclaim hard news. And so when Paul says, I heralded something, he was talking about something world-changing. This is hard news. This is a big event like something world-changing. It's hot world. It's going to change the world. Something really, really big. Christ was raised. God was breaking through in world history. Now understand the context in which this was written. Paul's writing in Corinth and he's writing to this, this community of people, but most of the people in that community were poor. Many of them were house servants. They were slaves. They had no homes of their own. They, they relied on the goodness of their masters, the, the, whoever owned the home. But most people in the society lived in great poverty with oppression and hardship. 
and experienced those difficulties. Now imagine bringing them soft news and wondering whether that's really going to change their life. I mean, really? Is it going to change their life that winter is now moving into spring or that the surf is going to look good next week and all the fun things that we read about? It's not really going to impact somebody in that situation. And yet, if it's hard news, it could really change their life. And that's why Paul says, I preached it. There was a pastor in the 19th century that said, he was preaching on the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, anyone who's accustomed to weigh evidence in court in historical study soon learns how to distinguish the report of an eyewitness from the hearsay evidence. Any careful student of the gospel records of the resurrection will readily detect many marks of the eyewitness. In fact, we find in this passage that Jesus began to appear. And for 50 days, he appeared to people. Can you imagine Christ physically, bodily, resurrected, overcoming death. This is world news. This, this is challenges the laws of nature, the way we understand life. It's world news. And, and, and he appeared for 50 days to all these people, probably over and over and over again. We find several references to the appearance of Christ in the context of community, followers of Christ, and often 500, probably many of them skeptics, like Thomas, who wondered. The disciples went to Thomas. They said, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas said, well, I didn't get the opportunity. And then Christ comes to Thomas and says, go ahead. Thomas, reach out your hand and touch my scars, the side and on my wrists. And see for yourself that I am the risen Christ now bodily. See for yourself. And so Thomas sees that and he bows before Christ and says, my Lord, my God, you are real. I see it with my own eyes. What you behold will change you. And Jesus then says, well, this is awesome. Blessed are you, Thomas, because you saw me and believed but I tell you, blessed are those who haven't seen me but believe. You and I rely upon eyewitnesses because we haven't seen Christ. And here's the testimony. And here's the ample evidence of the accounts. Over, just We see four accounts in the Gospels. We read Matthew, or Luke's or Paul's account. Now let's say you don't believe. And your life carries on. And you're facing problems. And I know we face a lot of conflict and problems and difficulties. Young people today, you are facing some of the most difficult situations you've ever faced. The peer pressure alone in your life, Luke and Kathy and others and volunteers that encourage you and build into your life, they do so because they know the difficulty you face, the peer pressure of giving in, whether it's sexual temptation or whether it's what you put in your body, the drugs and the alcohol and the other things that are going on among our youth. We understand that. 
It's a challenge. What do I do? How do I make these decisions? How do I control my body? How do I take care of myself? How do I make the right decisions? Maybe you're in a situation where you're unemployed and you, what's the next move for me? Or you're going through a very difficult relational breakup, maybe even possibly a divorce. And you're faced with this trauma. You're faced with this difficulty. How do you make the right decision? Soft news is not going to help you. But hard news, if God really came in, if the resurrection really happened, guess what? He changed everything. And the world is a different place and God is in control. And when you begin to now turn your life over to that, you begin to make decisions based upon the fact that God really is in control. The reason why the resurrection is important is because God breaks through and he cares about you and there's a new life ahead of you. And the decisions you make are now, they run through that encounter. But you gotta believe it first. You have to believe it. You gotta see it. God has shown his power. But second, Paul goes on and says, in the process of developing this, this new confidence, this new faith, you move from seeing it, believing it. I see it. I see the resurrection. I realize it's true. You can't get away from the evidence. And you begin to put your confidence in it. Why? You trust it because of what Christ has done. In the text, it says, but Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits among those who have fallen asleep, those that have died. He's the first one. He has set the new path ahead of us. He has died and he has risen. And guess what? That's just the first fruits. First fruit literally means a harvest is coming. Here's evidence the harvest is coming. Here's the first fruit. And when Christ rose, it was essentially saying, you will not believe the harvest that's headed our way. The harvest is new life. We get new life. It says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all died, he's talking about the Genesis account. He's going back to the beginning of creation. He's talking about the first humans, Adam and Eve. And that moment in creation, when they were deceived to go their own way by the evil influence. The evil one came in, distorted their view of God, that God was not looking after them, that God was not the one to turn to, to listen to, but to go your own way. Guess what? We experienced death. The world experienced death. All of life experienced, all of the world experienced death. Camus says, death lost or cast a long shadow over life. Camus says that it's like this. Imagine you have one hour to live. Go enjoy. Go, go do what you really like doing. But in one hour, it's over. The game's over. Are you really going to enjoy the next hour knowing what's coming? But if something changed, if something really changed, it says as in Adam all die, but in Christ, all were made to come alive. 
Now we're talking about something different. Now we're talking about putting our confidence in the fact that we get to live a new life. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us, who has allowed us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're born again, made alive again, given new life. This idea of being made alive is that it's this divine influence within us that's able to overcome everything. Life itself. That in life, we yes, our bodies will die, but we continue to live because of the resurrection. I want to put my confidence in that. It's, it's truly a Pinocchio story. You remember the story of Pinocchio. Well, Carlo Colito, an Italian, wrote it in 1881. And, and, and in the true story, the fox and uh, the cat actually take Pinocchio, the wooden puppet, and they hang him up, and he dies. And you're going, what? That's not the story I know. It's not the story Disney went, Disney went with. They changed it a bit. But in the true story of Pinocchio, the wooden puppet made by his creator gets himself into trouble and is, and is strung up. And, it, and, and Kalido writes, a temptuous northerly wind began to blow and roar angrily. And it beat the poor puppet from side to side, making him swing violently like a clatter of a bell ringing for a wedding. And the swinging gave him an atrocious spasm. His breath failed. He could say no more. He shut his eyes, opened his mouth, stretched his legs, and gave a long shudder and hung stiff, insensible. Now, wait a minute. It's not the story we know. Pinocchio lives and becomes a real boy. Yes, he does. In the story that you and I know, you know the story that he got into a lot of trouble. He was a bad boy. His nose grew every time he lied. And he, and he becomes captive and turns into a donkey. And, and we know the story that his father went out, set out to find him, to rescue him, and gets swallowed up by a dogfish. And Pinocchio goes and finds his father. He pursues his father who was willing to lay his life down for him. Sounds like the gospel story, doesn't it? And as you pursue this one who is willing to die for you, you get life. That's the gospel story. That's what I want to put my faith and confidence in. I want to lay my life down on that. Jesus, the first fruits, when he rose again, he said, I've overcome death. Death is the greatest conflict in all of life. The greatest enemy of life is death. And yet we get new life. It, one pastor was preaching on this story and this, this account, and he tells us, I saw this with my own eyes, the preacher said. It was a rock climbing experience and these climbers were attached to each other and they were climbing up a mountain. And, and the, first, the last climber slipped and fell and they were all roped together and so he took the next climber with him and then the next climber and the next climber. The lead climber saw what was happening, dug his axe in as best he could into the rock 
and wrapped the rope around his body. And as all the climbers fell, the rope became taunt and pulled on him and cracked his ribs one at a time. And as he was suffering, literally suffering, he held on, secured the rope, and brought them to safety. That's the story of Christ. He was willing to suffer so that we might live. We are falling into death. And when it says in 1 Peter that we were born again to a living hope, we now have something eternal living within us that never dies, that overcomes death. Now, let me bring it back to us. Let's say in that story that the lead climber later, that all these climbers are indebted to this lead climber for the rest of their life. You saved my life. I will never forget you. And someday later, the lead climber comes to one of the other climbers that he saved. And he says, hey, I know you're making some really poor decisions in your life. Can I just talk to you about it? Can we talk it through? I care for you. I love you. I sacrificed my life for you. Can I, can I speak into your life? You're going to look at that person and say, absolutely, you have, you've earned the right. You've given me new life. That's what new life looks like in Christ. New life is when we look into the eyes of Christ, the top climber who dug his ax in, tied the rope around his waist and died for us and suffered for us, holding us from a fall that was fatal. When he comes to us, we trust him. We put our confidence. That's what Paul's go, going to. The second step in this process is from belief to now confidence, trust. I put my confidence, I put my trust. But you know what? We've turned the resurrection story into a coping mechanism rather than a dying and rising experience. And that's what it truly is. We know we're dying. And in Christ, we become alive again. We go through that process. And one final thing that I have to share with you, as Paul concludes this story, he talks about that the, that the body now, he moves from this idea that what I saw was Christ resurrected. Um, in Adam we die, but in Christ we live. We become alive. But now he talks about the body. Why the body? Why does Paul talk about the body? What does the body have to do with it? Many of us have grown up thinking that the body has nothing to do with it. That it's all something spiritual that you receive Christ and then you live on into eternity in some other place in a disembodied spirit and that you the body goes away. The body disappears. The body dis decays. And you just move on to another place. We call it heaven. And yet what Paul is saying, no, no, no. You're missing, you're missing something really important. You're missing the whole point of the whole Bible. The resurrection brings us back to the creation account when God created us out of the dust of the ground and breathed into our souls and we became a living soul. Our human, your humanity, our body now becomes alive in Christ, but it's our whole self. It's the body and the spirit. And, and we were made to live in a creation, in a garden with God in relationship with him. And what Jesus is doing 
in the resurrection as he resurrects in bodily form. He's saying, see, I told you, you're going to get a new body. The body is sown imperishable. It's raised in imperishable. The flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable. But let me tell you, in a moment, we will all be changed. In a flash, twinkling of the eye, the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will raise imperishable, and we will be changed. Perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Guess what happens? The body gets transformed. Your body, who you are right now, look at your skin, look at your arms. Jesus was resurrected in bodily form. Why? To show us that we become imperishable in the future, that though, yes, we will die physically, we live spiritually, not just in the spirit, but also in the body. That is profound. You know why? Because it restores all of you to new life. Every part of you, and every part of you matters. And the body that you have, the life that you have right now, does not somehow just go away and we start over. But God somehow, in Christ and the resurrection, in a future date after our deaths, will bring us back, reanimate us, and put us back into his creation. That's amazing. Which the implication is your life matters. And what you do with your life and your body now matters because that continues on for eternity. Yes, it gets remade new. Yes, sickness and all the hardships and sin and difficulties gets wiped away. But guess what? You are the same person for eternity and we'll be able to recognize one another. And it's the end of Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the new heavens and the new earth, be conjoined together. We live in this new creation of God's, in God's presence with one another in a resurrected bodily form for eternity to enjoy creation. Now that motivates me to live the rest of my, I'm 60 years old and I'm thinking more about the second half than the first half. Well, not really quite a second half. I don't think I'll live to be 120. But the next part of my life, I'm thinking more of the finish line than I am the beginning. And recognizing the one thing I want to live for is not to waste any time with the life that God has given me because I know that who I am goes with me. My body, my life, my choices will become part of who I am for eternity. And that's why Paul ends by saying, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know what your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. It's a beautiful story. The resurrection is a beautiful story that you and I get to live into. It's the gateway through which all of life from this day forward is lived. 
And as C.S. Lewis is saying, he has already begun the process of creating within you something dazzling. Something dazzling. Take advantage of it. And this morning, as we pray and as I invite the worship team to come on up and lead us in a song, I want to encourage you to pray with me. Maybe this might have been the very first time you've heard this story. Maybe the first time that you've encountered this reality that in Christ's resurrection, I get new life. And you can have it right now. Christ died for your sins. And when he rose again, he gave you new life. All you have to do is acknowledge that. So Christ offers. And, and he knows your heart. And he knows that if, if you're hearing this and believing it right now in this moment, it says you will be saved. You will have that eternal life. You will have that new life. You will be born again to a living hope. And you can have that this morning. All you have to do is ask. So let's pray. So Father, we commit our lives to you. For those that have known you and have known you for a long time, the resurrection is a reminder of the hope that we have of life in you. And for those of us maybe that are encountering this message for the very first time, we're willing to say, Lord, I believe this message. I believe it's true. I'm willing to put my faith and trust in it right now. Christ, you are the lead climber. And I'm the, I'm the guy that fell. I'm the gal that fell. And I'm hurling down to my death. But because you put in an ax in the mountain, tied the rope around your waist I have been saved and I acknowledge that I thank you and I want a new life with you in Jesus name Amen outside is super fun. A lot of wiping things off and it's like a little Tetris puzzle piece up here trying to get on and off. Why don't you stand with me and we're just going to celebrate the resurrected king with this one last worship song.